You're listening to Hebrew Hits. I'm your host, Malia, and I'm so excited that you're tuning in to this show because that means that you want to succeed in life and you do not want to fail. Many of us go through such difficult challenges in life, and it's up to us not to fall victim to them. It's up to us to rise above it and to succeed. I sit down with people who have gone through real big struggles and show that they overcame them and are super successful today. It's what you do with what you have that makes a difference. Hebrew Hits is presented by TMC. Welcome to episode 54 of Hebrew Hits. I'm your host, Malia, and right now I'm sitting down with Zev Brenner, who is the founder of Talkline Network, which was founded in 1981. I'm so excited to have you here on the show with me today. Welcome to the show. Wonderful to be with you. I met you at the JBiz Expo when you do tremendous work. So I'm looking forward to our interview. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure that like, I literally met you at the JBiz and now here we are. Exactly. So the entire, the entire point of Hebrew Hits is I interview people who have risen to success no matter what stood in their way. I interview people who have had big challenges in their life and they made sure they did not fall victim. They pushed themselves and they became successful no matter what. They, they literally overcame that challenge. So you built a huge, huge radio company, Talkline Network. And I want to know what really like pushed you. And I'll tell you why I'm asking you this question. You're generally the one sitting behind the mic asking the questions. Yeah, the tables have turned right now because I'm here interviewing you. So I want to get to know you on a deeper level that people don't really know those sort of things about you. So let's talk about you for a minute. So tell me, what was that thing that really, that, that challenge that you had in your life that pushed you to do what you do? Well, I grew up always loving radio. I used to listen to old time radio at night. And it always bothered me that the Jewish community had so little Jewish programming. Yes, you had WEVD and you had wonderful Yiddish music and Jewish music. But as far as something more contemporary, it just didn't exist. And I looked around at other groups and I saw the Japanese who were small and never had a television station, radio broadcast, yet other ethnic groups. So that's why... I was very happy when the opportunity presented itself in 1981 to establish a Jewish radio presence that Mm -hmm. I I took advantage of it. So were you in radio before this? Like, were you ever involved in any other? Nothing. I was an optician. Wow. So tell me how it started. Like, who presented this opportunity for you? Did you find the opportunity for yourself? So what happened was, is that I've, you know, brought Dosher into different radio programs and had other people that I worked with getting them on radio. In 1981, I was in touch with Rabbi Yanko Spivak of Blessed Memory. And what happened was WEVD was a station that spoke many languages, including having Jewish programming and Art Raymond, of course, being the first and foremost of that. In 1981, they were selling their AM station, moving to FM. Now, believe it or not, in 1981, a lot of the older people didn't have FM radios. There was an outcry. Mm -hmm. You're shutting off Jewish programming because they didn't have FM radio. So the Christian owners of Salem Communications, which bought WEVD, decided to sit to lease time every night for Jewish programming. So Rabbi Yanko Spivak was in touch with me because he knew I loved radio and we spoke about it. So we decided to do something a little different. Instead of presenting music, we were pioneers in getting not just a talk show on Jewish issues, but a call-in show, which was really yeah. unheard of in the Jewish community in 1981. So we started, it was actually, we were called Night Rap at that point in time. Cool. Did you receive any backlash when you first started? Like, did anybody say Jewish people shouldn't be on the radio, shouldn't have their own channel? 
we didn't get backlash, but when we covered certain issues, it just sounds crazy. <clears throat> we covered, for example, Jews with disabilities or learning disabilities. So we got, I think it was Hush was the name of the organization. People said, how can you talk about Jews with learning disabilities? It's a Shonda, it should be swept under the rug. You shouldn't talk publicly about it. Or... Mm -hmm. I interviewed a group called Sovery, Supportive Orthodox Victims of Rape and Incest. Today, you can talk about it. When I first did a show, I was criticized. How can you talk about this? And what I said to them was that the night after the broadcast, 35 women called the hotline for help. And I said, if we help one person, I did my job. If I help 35 women, you can't criticize us. Wow. That's amazing. I was picked Not up. just the first day, 35 women. Oh my gosh. And now they were helped. And you see, I, I do find it extremely important to talk about these things in the Jewish communities because in the Jewish communities, it just gets swept under the rug. People don't want to talk about it because if they don't talk about it, it does not exist. But Jewish sexual uh, abuse, uh, we also were pioneers in covering people called up, threatening us, don't talk about it, very prominent individuals. And I said, you know, what? we didn't break the story. This is what I said. Our policy was we didn't break it. Once it was there, we covered it from a Jewish perspective. And we yeah. helped people because they're people who really were traumatized and needed help and needed to be discussed and spoken about. So why do you think in the Jewish community things are just tried, to, like people say, don't speak about those topics? It's a real thing. We want to get people help. Why would people say don't speak about them? Well, the reason being the saying was don't air our dirty linen in public. That's really the Rashi, the subcontext of it is. So if I talk about, you know, some Jews who we did, you know, let's say Jews who went to jail, for example, and I did a program on that. People say, why talk about it? Why highlight? And I said, I'm not telling something that's not available. Well, today it's on the Internet and you can read yeah. about the other papers. So we made it a policy. If it was a bad story, even though I may knew about it in advance, like I knew about some financial scams that eventually made it into the news. I didn't break the story, even though I knew about it. But once it came out, once it's public, we felt an obligation to cover it from a Jewish perspective. Have any rabbis ever reached out to you and said, this is a, like, Chil Hashem? Or no? Everybody was... It, it was but those sexual abuse stories, Rabbanim did call me, and they, they called rabbis that I know, that I'm friendly with, so to try to put pressure on me not to do those stories. So the rabbis in the neighborhood who are friendly with me says they called just to give it to, to, to give to Yotzitz design, just to say we did it, knowing that, you know, if we felt it was an important issue, we were going to do it. Obviously, we do it responsibly. We don't do anything that's going to be irresponsible, putting lives in jeopardy. But if it's something which will benefit the public... Um, yeah. certainly we'll, we'll consider doing it. Being a female, I, I, number one for me, for my friends, for everybody is always safety first, safety first. So by you airing a story like that and telling it as it is, even though it is found on the internet, you're not, you're saying you're not breaking the story, but by you sharing that is extremely helpful. It's showing that these things do happen in the Jewish community. It has nothing to do with being Jewish. It has to do with these things are going on and people have to know that they're going on safety precautions. More women are more, more women. I know like people say it's illegal to carry around mace. So many women that I know carry around mace for the sole purpose of keeping yourself safe. So I don't find it. I think it's like the rabbis should have, should be so supportive of you and tell you, of course, you should share these kinds of stories, not because you're bad mouthing people, but because you're protecting the Jewish girls, you're protecting them. 
But remember, things have changed in 40 right. years we've been broadcast. So today, groups like OHEL and SOVRI and all these other groups and MAS can exist and talk about some of the issues. But 30, 40 years ago, even talk about learning disability was something which people didn't feel comfortable about. Of course, it's important, like learning disabilities. People have it. They need help. The fact that it's being discussed made sure that people were helped by it. And that's really what's so important because there are ways of helping people. Uh, I yeah. remember... And then the case of the abuse stories, um, I have remember sitting with one person. He grew up Satmer. By the time he got to me, he was not religious with tattoos. I remember sitting in the studio, tattoos in his arms, a shaved head. And, but he was traumatized by it. And unfortunately, at some point after the interview, he committed suicide. So it's just so sad. And if we can help people, we have an obligation to bring it out to support them. And I think there's more of a support system today than there were years ago. But, but that's only because of the media exposure. Sunlight made sure that people discussed it. And once they discussed it, there were avenues to help them. But if we kept the secret swept under the rug they wouldn't be helped wow he committed suicide right i remember the individual i remember sitting with the with him and you had an interview with him previous before he obviously at some point it was months later that he had committed suicide obviously the trauma of being you know abused played a role people don't realize that you know Mm -hmm. the effect that it has not just on religious observance but also on mental health yeah Oh my gosh, that is so sad. And it was probably a big shock for you because you sat with him. I sat with him and I remember with the tattoos, nice person, but because of the abuse, he left Judaism. I mean, obviously he got some connection because we interviewed him. And he, but the fact is though, is that it was a sad case because he was very much traumatized by what happened to him. Don't you feel good that you were able to share his story? No, I felt good that we were able to help him. I remember one woman was suicidal on the phone and people recognized the voice and they were able to help her. So these are incidents that happened over the course of time where people that got help because of the fact they heard something which they were able to take advantage of, whether it's dealing with abuse or finance, people mm-hmm. who are in poverty and they heard about some program that will alleviate them. These are important things that we're glad we're able to contribute to that. It's amazing how, you know, when people think of radio and podcasts, they think, you know, people have a conversation, they talk, you don't realize that you're saving people's lives. And that's incredible that you, through your company that you built, through your radio company, talk on, you're able to save people's lives. No, thank God. If we're able to make a difference and whether it's saving their lives or helping their economic plight or coming up with some solutions to some problems that they have. So that's really what we are. We are interactive in communications. And a lot of yeah. times people don't have lack of knowledge or they don't know other people like them that exist in a similar problem, similar situation that we're able to bring to the fore. So since 1981, <laughs> I know radio has changed a lot, especially there are podcasts now. I only started radio, my radio career in 2017. So there's a very big gap, you know, there's many years. So what have you seen? I have two questions for you. What have you seen change with the rate with radio from from the, from 1981 till now and what has been a challenge that you had to you had had to like change the way you did you you did your radio and and you um you know sent out the posts and and publicized your your episodes um from 1981 till now well, in 1981 and up until not too long, and we still utilized, we had to rely heavily on using newspapers. And they used to send out press releases to the New York Times, to the Jewish papers when we had an interesting guest and they would pick it up. But it was a more cumbersome process. Today, you send an email. 
or you yeah. do a posting on Instagram or Facebook or LinkedIn or whatever the social media was, you get the response. So it's a lot easier today. Well, it's a lot of people easier today for people to catch a past broadcast. I remember we did a show in the 1980s about a Satmar Hussid who shaved the beard of Lubavitcher. It was a whole big fight. And we had the, we had the police, we had bomb threats in the studio at the time. So they were selling bootleg copies of the show on the streets of Williamsburg and other areas. I actually called one of the persons selling it. I wanted to buy a copy. They said, I'm, I talked, identified you selling my tape. All of a sudden, <laughs> he couldn't speak English anymore. But the fact that is, is <laughs> oh, you had to stay there. Were, they were selling tapes or making copies to do today. You can just post it. We just had a show, which perhaps is our biggest show ever, uh, where we had the story of a Lebanese. He grew up Muslim. He married a Syrian Jewish young lady. They thought he was Jewish. They discovered he wasn't. We have over 50,000 downloads and growing yeah. as of this conversation. So people are very interested. If they miss it, it's much easier for them to find it again. Right, because you you repurpose your own content. Correct, but that just makes it more. And we use the, the differences also. We'll, we'll put a, we'll put the shows on podcasts on YouTube on Instagram, so people yeah. can find it much easier than it was years ago. So, so in effect, here's the problem: There's so many podcasts today, people can't really decide. Very few podcasts make it on their own. But if it was first on the radio and then becomes a podcast, much easier for people to find it. Yeah, I hear that because there's more more of the click you're saying. There's more of a click. There's more identification with people know about a show. I missed a show. I find it is more of a brand awareness, which you can't get just yeah. on a podcast. Very hard to get just on a podcast. So let me, I have radio experience. You have radio experience. And now you, you repurpose your shows into podcasts. People tell me sometimes, oh, I love your radio show. I'm like, there's a difference between radio and podcasting. I did live radio. And now I have a show. It's a podcast. So can you explain to our audience the difference between live radio and podcasting? Well, first of all, the, the advantage of live radio, you can take phone calls and you cannot really do that on a podcast. That, that's a big difference. Even the show we had on the Lebanese, what I call the Lebanese hustle, I'm married to the Syrian young lady, is that the excitement was that people heard the phone calls of people. We did live phone calls. Even when we rebranded it and retooled it as a podcast, people were excited by Did you hear what that person said, what that one individual said? There's an excitement. Uh, yes, podcasts, you can clean up a little bit more. It's not live. You a little music some people have a little more drama and they and we do we clean up in the sense that we take out the commercials and take out some extraneous stuff but it's really a radio show that's repurposed some people just do a podcast but they make it like a with a little music little drama yeah. so everybody's different how they how they make the podcast we'll be right back with some more zev brenner right after this commercial break No matter where you are in life, Skyscraper Insurance is ready, willing, and able to protect what matters most to you. If you own property, commercial, or residential, call Skyscraper Insurance so that we can protect you. Here at Skyscraper Insurance, we take care of anyone who is in need of insurance, ranging from personal to commercial. Call if you work in real estate construction, business, public entities, social services, healthcare, or own a medical establishment. To request a quote, go to www.skyscraperinsurance.com or call us at 212-470-1953. You can email us at sales at skyscraperinsurance.com. We share your vision for a better tomorrow. 
stop talking. Seriously, stop talking. I have something so important to tell you. Stop spending time searching for a job. Siata is here to do all the work for you. Siata is a one-of-a-kind recruiting agency where we focus on building careers rather than just selling jobs. Apply today for a better tomorrow. It is so simple. Just apply at siata.com, which is S-I-Y-A-T-T-A.com. And follow us on LinkedIn at Siata. Are you making an event, a bar mitzvah, a bat mitzvah, a wedding anniversary, or are you making a yard site for a loved one who has passed away and you want to share those memories of all those pictures that you've taken with that person? Well, Details by Daniela is perfect for you. She makes video montages that are so high quality. The process is so easy when you are working with Details by Daniela. She will help you arrange all of your pictures into a beautiful video montage, perfect for your event. Each picture has a custom background and transitions, and your logo and theme will be featured throughout the video. Don't you want to have a video montage that you can watch over and over and over again of your favorite memories? Reach out to Details by Daniela on Instagram at Details by Daniela or on WhatsApp at 516-507-9647. Recently, hundreds have made upstate New York their new home. Hundreds more are in the process of moving, and they are all in the market for everything their new home needs. The Homeowner Show is where they will come to find the products, accessories, and services they need for their new homes. The Homeowner Show will bring together hundreds of new homeowners with vendors and service providers in every aspect needed to make their new home truly feel like home. From appliances to blinds, from kitchens to security cameras, if it belongs in a home, you will find it at the expo. This is not another show where you exchange pleasantries and business cards. Hundreds of homeowners will be there with a clear goal, to buy. The question is, will you be there to make sure they find you? Reserve your booth today by emailing info at homeowners.show. The Homeowner Show will take place Sunday, January 2nd at LifePlex Center. And we're back with Zev Brenner. When I was doing live radio, I remember like I did my learning and then they put me in the live studio. They're like, you're live on the radio without anybody. I was by myself. And I was like, this studio looks different. And I couldn't find like a liner. I wanted a wet liner or a dry liner. I couldn't find one. And I got like all nervous. I had like three seconds left to the song before I had to throw a liner in. And I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? And have you ever had an experience like that on the radio? I haven't had experience like that on the radio, but, uh, but they had experiences where you press the wrong button and the wrong tape goes on or, uh, <laughs> <laughs> or really in the early days of radio when Rabbi Yaakov Spiegel was my partner in 1981. So we read everything from cue cards. So the funniest part was, is one time, you know, he had a cue card said, I'm Rabbi Yaakov Spivak. I had a card to say, I'm Zev Brenner. Somehow the cue cards get, got shuffled. So he read, I'm Zev Brenner. I read, I'm Rabbi Yaakov Spivak. It wasn't unintentionally, but we just read the wrong cards. Oh my God. <laughs> but that was in the early days, uh, the 19, 1981, 1982, because everything yeah. 
We and in those days we script everything. Now today I do very little scripted. I just like having a spontaneous discussion. Yes, I have some idea. I know what I want to ask. I may jot yeah. down some notes, but it's a spontaneous discussion. That's good. It comes out more authentic that way. Correct. But I also want people. In other words, I will say, I'll based on what the guest says, I will base my next question on what was just as opposed to just reading a sheet. We're going in right. order to have any any relevance to what the guest just said. And you know what that shows? That shows that you're an amazing per, uh, an amazing interviewer because many people just have the sheet where they have all their notes and they don't respond to what that person's saying. So they'll just go on to the next question. They'll just go on. It won't be a conversation. It'll be just a Q&A basically. But here you're able to feed off that person and actually listen to what they're saying instead of zone out and focus on what the next question is going to be. I think it's important to listen and to have a dialogue as opposed to a stilted conversation. And yeah. I don't like stilted conversation. I like the flow because it's just more interesting for people to listen to. Because what I always tell people when I train them to do a radio show or to a public speaking, you have to put yourself in, and think what the person sitting in the audience, what would they like to hear as opposed to just babbling. Yeah. And something that I want to also say something about radio, you are probably going to get a kick out of it. The first time this happened to me, I was on live radio and all of a sudden I start hearing like beep, beep, beep. And my show goes dead. You know what I'm going to, what I'm saying this is. And I start shaking. I run out, I run to my director. I'm like, something happened to my show. It, it, like it's not working. I, I did everything right. And it was the um, emergency announcement that the government puts out on the radio. Are you ever prepped that that's going to happen or has that just happened? Oh, but there, there are times when you have a technical mishap where you're, you think you're on and you're not on or something else comes on. It happens, um, especially with today's technology, the way digital technology works, either it's a hundred percent or it's nothing. It's not like you can get a little grainy. So it's happened uh, where, and it happens to lots of stations where, you know, they're off for a couple of minutes or something else goes on because of the technology. When it works, it's fantastic. When it doesn't work, forget about it. <laughs> and I remember when I was in the car um, driving and it happened in like, I was able to hear the emergency beep, 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 beep. And everyone's like, what's going on? I'm like, guys, this has happened to me in a live studio. Don't worry. It's just the government. And I was able to explain like what really was going on. No, listen, these things, have, that's the, when you do it live, it's different than pre-recorded. I like yeah. to do live radio because with the interaction of the phone calls, you never know what's going to happen. So there's a certain excitement when you do it live as opposed to pre-recorded. Exactly. So I'm going to go back to my beginning statement, which was about overcoming a challenge. Can you tell me what was one of your biggest challenges that you've overcome? Well, here's the thing though uh what we do is we lease time from radio and tv station we do television too to broadcast our shows so we are commercially sponsored and what i find is that lots of times in the jewish community some of the organizations take it for granted they'll call up we want an interview fantastic they'll come every day if you invite them but when it comes time to being a sponsor and helping the shows sustain itself i find they they say i'm getting it for free why should i buy an ad so i, I know one story which i like saying there was one individual head of an organization that a rabbi asked me as a favor every year to interview him 
which I did. I said, what about advertising? Oh, he said, I'm not sure if your audience is my audience. You know? So I said, okay, fine. The next three calls for the interview. So I said to him, I'm not sure if my audience is your audience. I'm just saying what you told me to me. If I'm not good enough for you to be a sponsor, why do you need my public relation? What do you need to be on the air for? It's worthless to you. I said, no, no, no. I get a great response. You know, and they became a sponsor. But you find that happens quite often. People just take you for granted. It's amazing that you're so tough, though. Like, you just say it as it is. And you're not scared to say, like, this is your Parnassa as well. This is your business, you know? Organizations are doing an amazing thing, but you have to know the balance between, like, is it chassad or is this what my what I built? Well, our, our position is clearly, and listen, if somebody needs a bone marrow transplant, it's a life-saving thing, we've been very generous in giving time. If we find yeah. an organization is ready using other light, paying for sponsorship in other media, and they come to us for the freebie, we'll say to them, why don't you include us? And if we're not so important, then, like, why are you coming to me? No, that's <laughs> so. great. That's great. I, I, I really, I, I really like applaud you for, for saying I, that. To I them. say it nicely. I mean, the truth is, is that, you know, truth be told is that they're, they're, they're allocating funds and doing another media. So why not support Jewish Ray? We are independent. And Support. the fact that we're not part of any Jewish organization means that we can cover stories that nobody else covers. Um, and the, the, the price for independence is, is that we also rely on sponsorships for people to help support the programming. Of course. And talking about um, shows and interviews that you've done, I know you've interviewed many really cool people like Benjamin Netanyahu, Bill Clinton, um, Shimon Perez. What would you say has been your most, like, which, which, what has been your most favorite interview that you've done and why? It's hard to say favorite, but uh, I'll give you one story, which I, which I, first of all, the story that got me on the front page of the New York Times was the story of the talking fish. And if you know the story of the talking fish, but years ago, it was around March, it has to be at least 15 years ago, there was a story about a, a Kupperman's fish market in upstate New York where they swore that a fish spoke to them in Hebrew. So I actually called up and I called up the owner of the store. We did a whole program about the fish story. For some reason, the New York Times loved it. And they picked it up. So we made the front page of the Times. That was before the, the recent story, which got us a lot of publicity. So that was a fun story because I remember I, speak, I spoke to one of my advertisers, a fish company, said, I got a great slogan for you. Why don't we advertise you can filter fish, the fish that speaks for itself? It'd be a great way of marketing. Well, they were afraid of offending people who believed in the, the fish actually spoke because a lot of people did believe it. They, they even knew the person whose soul was in the fish, somebody who frequented the fish market. So it was, it was a great, great story. And I enjoyed it immensely. It was a lot of, a lot of fun uh, covering it because people did believe it. And uh, it was just something which was a little different, but something which captured people's imaginations and fantasy. That's, that's very interesting. Now, do you feel like Hashem gave you a specific gift of talking to people and communicating and, you know, being able to do what you do? Do you feel like that's a specific gift or is that like something that you just feel like you always wanted to do and you set your mind to do it and you accomplished it? No, it certainly is a gift from God, a gift from Hashem, because believe it or not, I was shyer in my younger days. So just really? being able, yes, yes, yes. So just being able to get up and talk to people, and sometimes they're hostile towards you. I mean, I remember having guests that you know saw the yarmulke on my head, and they came live into the studio, and 
you can tell didn't want to be, you know, because they were hostile. So I'll tell you a quick story. There was a British journalist who wrote a book about one of the founding fathers of Israel. I think it was about Ben Gurion. So okay. anyway, so he's, you know, there and, you know, he's hostile and the phones are not, they are very quiet. So I'm talking to him and he says, then he goes, quite frankly, he says, the establishment, the leadership of the Jewish agency in Israel had better things to do during the Holocaust than try to save Jews from Europe. That's what he says. So all of a sudden, the phones lit up like you wouldn't believe. And then a call after call was like that tag. And then after the show, I said, well, somebody wanted to talk to you. So um, he picks up the phone. He has a conversation. All of a sudden he's hanging out. You know, he, before he couldn't wait to get out. Now, yeah, can I ask, maybe you can give me a lift. I go, sure. I go, what happened? The caller on the phone, one of he had wife and children. And he got scared because of that, because he came up across with this incredulous statement that the issue of better things than to save Jews in Europe. Um, and, and that got, you know, him to all of a sudden, you know, to say, hey, let me walk out with you. Let me part of you. He was, he was certainly afraid. So you, you can approach people that are hostile towards religion or towards Jews. Um, and we've had very controversial figures. Uh, Louis Farrakhan had accepted my invitation in 1984 to appear on the program. The Jewish defense threatened to do bodily harm, so he didn't show up. We had other leaders in the African-American community that showed up. Al Sharpton has come a few times to our broadcast. So if you want to know what my favorite, the toughest show was Reverend Al Sharpton because we read, I read every single anti-Semitic statement that he made and he had an answer for every statement, whether you liked his answer or not, he was able to combat that. In fact, the fun of the funniest lines of all time is again, we were live and we did it twice. One time we're live in the studio and the head of Kahana Chai, the militant Jewish organization, calls up and starts talking to Al Sharpton. And Reverend Sharpton goes, you guys don't know how to run a demonstration. Avi Weiss does a better job than you. I'll show you guys how to run a demonstration. And then we had him in front of Men we had him at Mendy's restaurant another time where uh -huh. hundreds of people, uh, we had two militant Jewish groups that, uh, demonstrating outside the restaurant. Uh, Al Sharpton wouldn't even touch the food. He was afraid of the hashkocha wasn't proper. We'd even drink a glass of water. Very heated discussion. And we went through every single statement from that. But I give him credit. They was willing to come down and really talk about the different uh, statements that he made. And in fact, the second time at Mendy's restaurant, I had new statements and he remembered from two years prior new stuff that i've uncovered but he had an answer for everything and, and i believe we can have a dialogue we may not, I, we don't agree on things that he said or done but it's important for the jewish community to have a dialogue we can't dictate yeah. communities who their leadership is this is who the african-american community considers a leader so we have to work with what what uh, the leadership is have you ever had getting aggressive in the studio or is all just dialogue and speaking well, listen, when Al Sharpton, it was confrontational because, you know, he kept going back and forth. But I'll tell you one particular story, which I'm very proud of. Rabbi Moshe Arye Friedman was a member, was one of the heads of Naturi Carter, the anti-Zionist Hasidic sect. And mm -hmm. he brought Naturi Carter to Iran. They had a Holocaust denying conference. He brought them to Iran. He actually called me from Vienna, wanted to appear on the program. I said, well, okay. You want to appear on the program? Okay. I got a lot of flack. How could you have, you know, the notary card to the anti-Israel? Yeah. And I've had other notary card to people on the show before. He comes down and we have a discussion and people call up and they're screaming and yelling and Holocaust survivors are calling and they're cursing him and the whole thing. So finally I got him to admit 
that he's no longer now this individual by Moshe Ayer Friedman had neo-Nazis and uh, other Jew haters at his kids bar mitzvah in Vienna that's where he's mm-hmm. from so I got him to say that he's no longer going to associate with Jew haters neo-Nazis with Hamas with Hezbollah with PLO the only thing that he was going to do is stay with, be in touch with Iran because they were going to make him the chief rabbi of Iran and I assume there's much money made to, to be made from that the second time I had him on because he called to come on again we had him on again and this time I got him to renounce Iran. I got him to renounce Naturi wow. I proclaimed him a Zionist. And I actually called the Israeli consul and got him into Israel because he was afraid if he go, they'd be arrested for bringing them to Iran. And today he's, he's in touch with me. And we've had him on. Uh, he, he's an interesting person because the other story. Wow. We, had, was great with him. We, we converted him from an anti-Zionist to a Zionist. But he got into trouble with the Hasidic community in, in Belgium. And they didn't want to let his boys go to the Hasidic, the Belzi Hasidic Yeshiva. So he enrolled his boys in Beis Yaakov in all girls school because they took mm-hmm. government funds. They couldn't discriminate. So his boys actually went to Beis Yaakov. Uh, or I to the am Bell so school impressed people. with you. I'm so <laughs> impressed with you because you are the like first real Jewish talk show, radio show host. And you didn't just like settle for interviewing like, you know, some people a nice interview to have a nice interview. You actually went and had difficult interviews and you made a difference. Well, I'm proud. That's one of my proudest moments, converting the Tariq Harta, uh, one of their leaders, into a Zionist and who associate with them. And and then, in fact, I'm going to have him on again because he has an interesting story. For He always comes up with me with interesting yes. stories. So he should be on in a few weeks with another interesting story about a Satmar, about a, 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 there was a Schumacher, Yossel Schumacher was a kid that was kidnapped in Israel. And mm-hmm. they he had irreligious parents, I believe religious grandparents, and they smuggled him out of Israel to Williamsburg and the Mossad was in on the case and they finally cracked and they, they, they found the boy. So he wants to do a whole piece about this, some interesting information about it. So we'll probably cover that uh, with him uh, in a number of weeks. Oh my gosh, you are doing amazing things. Thank you so much. We're out of time, but thank you so much for being on Hebrew Hits episode 54. I really appreciate you taking the time to come out here today. Thank you so much. And we look forward. I know you did a radio show for us. We're looking forward to hearing more of your programs on the Talkline Network. You can always find us at talklinenetwork.com. But Malia, we look forward to hearing more of you. Thank you so much. That was Zev Brenner, who actually turned a Nuturi Karta leader from an anti-Zionist to a Zionist. Now, I don't know who else has, has ever done this in their life. Well, thank you so much for being here. That was so amazing. Um, this is episode 54. You can Find Hebrew Hits on all your favorite streaming apps and on YouTube at Hebrew Hits Radio. You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Hebrew underscore hits. And you can follow me or ask me any questions. You can DM me on LinkedIn at Malia Feivelson. Thank you so much. We'll be back here next week. Same time, same place. Same station.